uh, two crowds encounter one another in this scene from Luke chapter 7. One is on the, they're both on the outskirts of the village of Nain. And our text says at the city gate, and it was probably a little, very little town, so it probably didn't have a whole lot of formalized gate, no wall or anything like that. But they're at the city gate. And one throng is with Jesus, and, and there is no way that they could be anything other than exuberant and joyful and expectant. And I suspect it was just a noisy throng that was following him had seen all the good things that had been happening through his ministry. And in fact, you might remember last week of the healing and bringing back from the dead, actually, uh, the, uh, the, or I guess from sickness, not from the dead, that's this week, from the sickness, the centurion's servant. Well, I suspect that group quiets down very quickly, and, and, and maybe they feel like, oh, suddenly their emotion is a little out of place or uh, misplaced, because they spot another group, another procession, a crowd in a funeral, making its way out of town. And so these two groups meet, and there's Jesus at the center, and he immediately notices a grieving mother. And he found out that she was a widow, and that she had previously lost her husband, but now she was devastated again by the loss of her only son. And her son would have been her primary caretaker after her husband had passed. He would have been the financial head, her provision and her protection. And her only son, her dear one. So her prospects for the future without family, without all the networks that we have today, without government assistance in any way, was dismal. And most of Jesus' entourage probably weren't quite ready for a funeral. Maybe they weren't even in the grieving mood. I suspect they weren't as they'd been experiencing victory after victory. But Jesus felt this enormous compassion for her. And and I would say with a fierce courage, said in a very declarative, definitive way, that, that maybe I wish I could have heard the tone, and it's hard to know exactly if it would have been said the way Alex said it, which was very tender. Or if he would have said to that grieving widow with a little bit more forcefulness, don't cry. In either way, in either case, I would say it was bold. And it would have been very easy to misunderstand a comment like that. But as always... Jesus acted in both word and deed, and so while everyone might have been caught off guard by him saying, don't cry, he stops the procession and he lays hands 
on the coffin, the NIV says, but it's not really a coffin, it's a beer in the New, new American Standard. And the, 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 this idea is a, it was kind of a, the body would have been wrapped in a linen cloth and then pretty much laid out on this horizontal frame. And he stops and he lays his hands on this coffin or beer and with burr and without a missing a beat, he said to the dead body, You man, I say to you, get up. And at his command, the man sat up and he began to talk. And Jesus showed everyone, those with him and those in the funeral, the essence of God's kingdom. It is restorative. It is redemptive. It brings together again relationships with its reconciling power. And it demonstrates a power over the grave. He restores the grieving widow. He gives the young man back to his mother. And of course, everyone was filled with awe and praise God, the Bible says. And, and, and another refrain when Jesus comes to town, that is, praising God, it seemed to happen over and over again. And they made two observations about Jesus. And the first one is that he is a great prophet in the likeness of Elijah or Elisha or Jeremiah. And here a prophet is uh, uh, fulfilling the many Old Testament prophecies about the one who is to come. So Jesus is carrying that out. And, and secondly, they, they give praise to God, saying, God has come to help his people. And so again, they get it right. From that little town, the word about him spreads like wildfire. Now imagine for just a moment the grieving widow having lost her husband and now her only son and the grief and pain that she's experiencing and her loss is deep and in ancient societies widows, children, those with Orphans, those with mental and physical disabilities, they just had little to no value to the community and the society. For, for us, it feels crass, and yet it was real. And I want to show you in contrast, and I want to show you the wisdom of the Bible and the wisdom of the history of the Bible in the Judeo-Christian tradition, in, in the way that we appreciate and respect and guard and care for widows today is not the way societies of old saw it. We think about it today, whether you're a Christian or believer or you're not a believer, you've been influenced by the Bible's truth. Think of a couple of these passages. Exodus chapter 22 and verse 22 says this, you shall not mistreat any widow or father or the fatherless. 
Isaiah 1 and 17 says it this way. Learn to do right, seek justice, defend the oppressed, take up the cause of the fatherless, plead the case of the widow. Psalm 68 and verse 5. A father to the fatherless, a defender of widows, is God in his holy dwelling. 1 Timothy chapter 5 and verse 3 says this, Give proper recognition to those widows who are really in need. And then James chapter 1 and verse 27. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this. To look after the orphans and the widows in their distress. And to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. My main point is to show the Bible's comprehensive coverage of this topic. More than 80 verses in the Torah the, the books of Moses, the prophets, in the Psalms, and then in the New Testament. And this passage from James can't help but make us do a double take as it offers the work of true religion, suggesting that it is to look after the widows. So here's the question. From the church's perspective, what about widows would we do well to consider? You know, and I should have prefaced this at the very, very beginning, but when I say widows, I mean widows and widowers. There's no reason not to include both the widowers in this. Now, in the ancient world, the kind of the assumption was made that if you were male, you, you could uh, kind of find your own way. And there were privileges in that society, and you also were able to work in some ways that maybe the widow did not. So there is a distinction. But I think it would be good for us to be inclusive in that language this morning. From the church's perspective, what about widows and widowers would we do well to consider? The first thing I want to say is it's a couple's world. Got a head nod. You all understand that just having been newly remarried and have been single for a while. And everything changes after the loss of a partner. Often to be without them is harder, sadder, and lonelier than we ever would have guessed. Going out to dinner, going to movies, going on vacation, going to church, going to your connect group, particularly if one uh, has done these things as a couple for many years, the emotional challenge of doing this as a single are really huge. And widows and widowers often feel awkward in a setting for couples. 
I don't know that we always see that or are sensitive to that as couples. Might not be able to put ourselves in their shoes very quickly or easily. And often, couples are hesitant to invite the widow or widower for fear that they might feel awkward or out of place, and we've actually perpetuated the problem. There's a statistic that's hard to believe, but here it is. On average, 75% of one's support base is lost when you lose your spouse. And there couldn't be a worse time to try to muster the strength to rebuild it. Number two, even in a caring network, it's an inadequate replacement. One lady said, my friends are great. She said, when I share a worry about my daughter or grandson, They'll nod and show compassion and concern, but here's the thing, in the end, whatever happens just won't affect them the way it affects me. And the only person who could share the weight of these concerns was my husband. And again, I understand that those who are single and that those who are single again may also feel this lack of deep regard for your world as well. A woman named Karen uh, from Grief in Common says it this way, imagine a restaurant with a loyal and happy customers. And then there's a fire, and suddenly the restaurant is there no longer. And all the patrons of that restaurant will miss eating there. And they'll feel saddened at its loss. But eventually, they will find another place to eat. But the owner will never be the same. Because every part of the owner's life and livelihood and every part of their security and their dreams and their hopes went into that restaurant. Number three. One lady described it like this. I often feel like half of a whole. Two people join as one, and we refer to our partner as the better half. And after the loss of a spouse, the widow or widower will miss their other half. But more, they feel incomplete. They don't feel whole anymore. But get this, often for years, they are not only missing their spouse, they're missing themselves. I know I'm just touching the hem this morning, and the death of a spouse often sets in motion a disconnection that cascades through the family, through the social network, and I wish it wasn't so, but unfortunately the church. 
However, let's change gears. Of all the organizations on the planet, I believe the church is uniquely called and qualified to value widows. It's interesting how many things in the Bible are concept and then laid out in terms of practice, but you don't have necessarily uh, uh, like clear ministries. In other words, we're left to sort of sort things out. But there are two areas. One is Acts chapter 6, where you see the church clearly organizing in order to help the Greek widows. It was an active, intentional effort to have a program, so to speak, to help the widows. And then again in 1 Timothy chapter 5, we have the widows list and a particularly particular ministry around that. In fact, it so struck me this week that I want to put this challenge out to the church. I would love for a servant among us, or maybe a couple, to rise up and say, I will do this. I see this need at McKnight Crossings. I will serve this group. I've got the heart. I've got the health. I've got the time. I will do it to serve this growing base of widows and widowers among us. Now, I also want to suggest this. Let's look at the other side of the widow. Not their vulnerabilities, because I know they're there, and I've pointed them out, and I've helped you understand how that disconnection is real, and the emotional uh, uh, weight of all of that is real, how grief is real. But I want to suggest an, another way of looking at it is not their vulnerabilities, but their strength in the Lord. Think about this partial list of widows in Scripture and the enormous contributions they make to God's plan. There's, there's Tamar, there's the widow of Zarephath, there's Naomi, there's Orpah, there's Ruth, there's Anna, there's the widow with the two, two coins. There are others that we surmise are widows, like Mary, the mother of Jesus. So I don't want us to underestimate the amazing strength of widows to serve and to use their gifts in this congregation. So it leads to another question. How might we better discover, foster, and nurture the strengths and the talents of our widows? We know that we are made stronger in the broken places. We know that this, this brokenness and this strength is understood by the widow. When we are weak, then we are strong, the Scripture says. Strong in faith, strong in the Lord, strong in the eternal. When we experience grief, we, we find ourselves in a deeper trust in the Lord. 
when we're feeling vulnerability. From vulnerability comes a deeper confidence in the Lord. From loss comes a deeper assurance in things that do not pass away. In disconnection comes a deeper connection to the hands of God. My point clear? <laughs> now, I think if over, as, uh, over the years in this church, Jan Patrick was legendary for her service and serving the widows. And uh, Janice and Glenn were right there with Jan serving that way. And then I think about uh, St- Steve Autry was telling the story again last week of Mary Ellen Reed over here as one who took care of Steve Autry's brother and then eventually his dad and was a widow who understood and used her gifts and her role. There's already mentioned by Jeannie, Judy Bundren working with Grief Share. There's Peggy right now teaching the high school students. What a use of her gifts. Or Kay serving in the hospitality ministry. Or I had the benefit, I went to my mom's house because we sold her house and we, I ended up with a bunch of furniture that I had to bring back that was grandma's rocking, great grandma's rocking chair. But uh, somewhere in the transfer from, from Ohio to here, I broke it. So I took it over to Ed Bielek. Ed, raise your hand. I was mentioning you the other day. Here's Ed back here. Now, he and Barb Dolan, I don't know who was older, but they're our oldest members, okay? They're in their early 90s, okay? And Ed, raise your hand again. Sorry, put up one more time. Y'all got to see Ed. And he is just a, he's just a wonderful, wonderful soul. He's got some amazing stories and, and my rocking chair, I was, I was blessed over and over because not only did he fix the rocking chair, but I got to, I got to spend time with Ed and in his workshop and, get, and see and, and, and take advantage of the way that he is serving as a widower. These examples are, are huge. So to the widows and the widowers, I challenge you to keep going and to keep growing, and to pray for God's vision, for God's vision to come alive in even greater ways in matters of the Spirit, in matters of service, in matters of love for this church. It's not surprising that again and again, it's the widows who support the church. I mean financially, We've had that happen again and again and again, but in terms of service and in filling holes like mortar between bricks. Glenda? Many others we could name. Marion? Others. Think about it right here in the congregation this morning. I noticed Elliot back there. Robin Ostrike back last week for, I think, for one of the first times. Betty, still just a few months since Richard has passed, and it's hard to get, feel emotionally connected again, isn't it? 
and yet you have so much and are offering so much and so much to offer. So I want you to hear this as I close. While as a congregation, we are heavily focused on the next gen, next gen ministry, zero baby through 25. We've got a lot of building out and a lot of emphasis and a lot of resources and, and want to pay attention to God growing that area. It is the widows who will help us get there.